Okay, welcome uh, to God's Own Scale podcast. Yes, it is back. It's been away for a short period of time, about six months, but uh, I found myself kicking around with not much to do, and I found two strangers hanging around on the internet who thought that they might wish to talk to me about... Well, it's a show you might not have heard of, but uh, hopefully you'll you'll uh, come to uh, see just what kind of show we're talking about and uh, maybe pop along in a couple of three weeks to see so i've got two guests with me i've got rich tyndall otherwise known as tricks hi rich hello and i've got lawrence baldwin hi lawrence how are you hi i'm good yes very well and it is always nice at this point for a podcast host to know that we've got communication the tin cans have stretched to wherever we are uh, the bits of string are, are taut and the line is clear. So let's hope it stays like that. Um, so, uh, Trix, who are you and why are you here? I'm yeah, I'm Richard Tindall. I'm um, the man in the background most of the time for the Partisan shows. Um, I'm a geologist and archaeologist by trade. Um, so this is something that I do on the side, just as Lawrence does. Um, and uh, I've basically helped run i wasn't there at the very start of running partisan doing partisan but i've basically run the shows with lawrence for the last hell 30 years something like that yes so God, um, time, started off with um all thanks to the dear old mr duncan mccarlin of Wargames illustrated he's the man that got me into it so. yeah i suspect that's not going to be the last time we mention um <laughs> the dearly departed duncan uh, but thanks for that uh, and lawrence uh, i know rich has given you quite a good lead in there but uh, i guess you've been fairly instrumental in this thing called partisan as well yeah, so the original one was organised by myself and Duncan McFarlane of Blessed Memory uh, way back in 1986. So, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't got enough fingers and toes, I'm afraid, to work out just how long ago that is. But it, it's a while and I'm sure there's listeners who won't have been born then, which is a scary thought. Um, but uh, both of you, it's your first time on the God's Own Scale podcast. Um, and because this is a, a renewal or a re-emergence or a rising from the ashes, a phoenix-like rising from the ashes of the podcast, I'm just going to change things up a little bit. And rather than go through that stale old um, trope of uh, hobby biographies where we all talk about playing with airfix toy soldiers on the carpet and throwing dice at them and, until somehow you manage to stumble across a shop selling Hinchcliffe ancient figures uh, back in 1975. Um, I thought I'd, I'd put three questions to each of you. Um, and I hope this isn't coming as a surprise. I think we've done a little bit of pre-production work uh, to suggest uh, we might be prepared for this. But uh, the three questions, and this, this will be an ongoing feature of the podcast where I'm going to ask you, what was your first proper war game? And I'm saying proper in rabbit ears. Uh, so rules, dice, etc. Uh, what was your last hobby purchase? And then should you be stranded on a desert island, which war game or figure collection would you take with you to keep you occupied until you were rescued? So, uh, Richard, you're top of the screen. What, how would you answer those three questions? Well, I'm, I'm, sadly, I'm going to use that name again, Duncan. Um, I... I was 14 years old i just come back from america i turned up because i found out having been in america playing dungeons and dragons with uh, a lady over there 
I found out that the figures we were using were made in Newark, and I hunted down Sistel miniatures and turned up at the time when Duncan was the um, uh, the uh, general manager there, um, and started working for him, um, as many people did when you just sort of drifted in. Um, and about the second weekend, he took me to his house, where which was, if anybody ever been to Duncan's, his place was just filled with junk. Um, all of it great junk, the sort of junk that we'd love, you know, buildings and figures and books and this sort of thing. But there was no open spaces to play a game, and he'd invite me around for a war game. And so we ended up playing a Renaissance game using beautiful Hinchcliffe figures, or various companies' figures. Um, and we used about five different surfaces. So we used his mantelpiece, his coffee table, um, top of a bookcase, and he devised these simple rules of sending communications between each of the um, the, the unit so that you would have this sort of real-time communications issue. Um, and it was wow. brilliant. And it was that was my very first ever proper war game. Wow. And it was, yeah. And, of course, I never looked. Uh, yeah, once I'd done that, that was it. I was I was hooked for life. So. I, I mean, dropping a name like Duncan in to introduce you <laughs> into the hobby is, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's one of those things, isn't it? It, it, sort of, it definitely beats me with my uh, Fort Apache and a few um, Indians uh, <laughs> playing on the carpet. But uh, uh, so that's your first proper game. Um, last hobby purchase. Can you remember? Are, are you still purchasing things? Or I mean, comes back to I, I collect war games figures. I collect figures. Um, I have a cellar full of them um, and I'm a, I'm a collector of all sorts of things. So I'm actually in the process of collecting the old Citadel Spacefarers and I've got almost all of them. So I buy them on eBay. So my last war games purchase was a few days ago. Don't tell my wife. Uh, it was a few days ago. Was buying um, a, a one of these um, spacefarer um, war games figures. Um, and it's not I'm, something I'm familiar with, to be honest. Does that predate Space Marines? Yeah, oh yes, yes. Spacefarers oh. was designed by I think Tony Ackland did a lot of work. Ah, on it. Okay. Uh, but it was yeah, it was a it was a little booklet which goes for like fifty quid on eBay at the moment, which is ridiculous. Um, but it had this set of about, I don't know, 70 or 80 figures that went with it done by Citadel. Beautiful 25 more science fiction figures. And I've, I've sort of had about 20 of them or so. From wow. them, and I've slowly been trying to fill the collection. Out, so. T- Tony was a very early member of my club All right. uh, in Stoke. So I'm, I'm from the Stoke War Games group. Um, and t- long before I was a member, but uh, yeah, some of some of the older veterans of our club, which goes back to 1970. Uh, yeah, so uh, re- remember Tony uh, quite well before he, he went on to bigger and better things. So um, you're stranded then on this desert island, Robinson Crusoe-like. Yeah. Um, what would you wish to be stranded with? War of Spanish Succession. Wow. Again, early on, it was it was sad. Duncan again um, got me into the War of Spanish. So he had a range of figures he was doing, um, which are old 25 mil. So I probably wouldn't want that range, which sounds a bit like a betrayal. But um, there's so many other great ranges of figures out there now for that. Um, but, yeah, it would be War of Spanish Succession. I absolutely love the period. Um, was that the stuff he sold through Stratagem? Yes, yes, right. I remember those figures very well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, well, it's it's a period I'm literally just dipping my toe into. Right. So uh, just uh, getting my head around the um, all the usual tomes that are out for that. So uh, yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, it's quite a big sort of period, big set piece battles, isn't it? So yeah. 
I guess you're going to have to clear a big area of the beach to get us. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, it's the original sand table, I suppose. Dye the, <laughs> dye the sand green and uh, and away you go. Okay, thanks for that, uh, Rich. Uh, Lawrence, then, same to you. Uh, first ever proper war game that you can remember. Uh, first one I remember, I was brought up in Hastings. Um, so there was a, a little war games club there that met in this drafty, dusty um, room above the garage, which for some reason had bales of hay in it as well. Um, I think it was a Lord of the Rings game. And in that period, this would be late 70s, so they must must have been Asgard figures or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and again, because it's that kind of period, sort of type, typewritten um, rules, in a in a little pamphlet, but mm. my memory's getting a bit hazy of that. That's uh, seems to be a long time ago, and I don't, I don't think they were ever my figures. I think it was sort of other guys in the club. Them I, I seem to have a copy of a set of uh, Middle Earth War Games rules uh, published by somebody like one of the London clubs, maybe South London, um, yeah, in the old, a old A A five staple together. Type thing, um, but th- they Sounds must. Familiar. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping um, they're, they're worth an absolute fortune, and I'll, <laughs> I'm going to buy my time on eBay because <laughs> I can't see me ever using them. But um, so, last hobby purchase. Well, this may shock a few people, but I'm actually quite into the latest Games Workshop Horus Heresy stuff. So I've never played a game yet, and I do have problems with the with the sort of unnecessary complexity of some of Games Workshop's uh, systems. But I really love the aesthetic of uh, the Horus Heresy stuff. It sort of goes back to almost first edition, second edition Warhammer 40K. Um, so yeah, just like just like that stuff. I think the, the last physical thing I bought was a Demos pattern Rhino, uh, which is sat on my table here, half constructed. This isn't a confessional, Lawrence. Don't feel as though <laughs> don't feel well, as though you need to uh, <laughs> feel as though I, you're in the uh, in the confessional box. It's absolutely fine. I, a bit like that when when we're known for historical games. And if you ask me what was my favourite game, I would say probably 25, 28 mil Napoleonics. But uh, right. not what I've been working on recently. And you yeah. did ask what I bought last. So. No, no, absolutely. And uh, listen, I'm uh, I, I've. I've been one of these people who've been in and out of the games workshop probably throughout my life. I was there at first with first edition fantasy uh, and rogue tra- trader and been hooked. At it. It's like um, one of these uh, magnetic force fields that pull you in games workshop as I find uh, because the aesthetic is so beautiful, isn't it? And the, the, uh, the work that goes into the most figures, it's, yeah, the rules bloat thing that goes on constantly. I know they're about to go into a brand new edition of 40K, the 10th one, I think, with uh, a big reset. Yeah. And Horus Heresy had a big re-release last year, didn't it, I think, with uh, the big box set. So, um, Yeah, the, and the support materials, the, the books are just beautiful. Um, so yeah. it's, I, I lived in New York for a short while, but since... Uh, probably 30 years now I've lived in Nottingham. So being in the lead belt, again, you have that sort of magnetic thing. It's just so easy to drop into Warhammer World. And, yeah. Well, it's a nice breakfast and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that's about the cheapest thing you'll you'll find to buy in there. I know, but... <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah. So the Desert Island then, is that 28 mil Napoleonics? Well, I'd love to say that, but I'm sure they'd all get lost on the beach alongside Richard's um, yes. Barbarian. So I think I would be terribly practical for a, a Desert Island and do DBA3. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I don't think you're showing enough ambition there, Lawrence, but I, I, <laughs> I admire I admire your um, yeah your attitude there. That'd be good, actually. Yeah, something um, biblical, maybe. That'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it? Um, OK, well, thanks for that. That's um, the first time I've uh, asked those questions and uh, those are the inaug- ignor- inaugural answers. Yes. I'm struggling. Words are difficult today, uh, which is not great when you're running a podcast, especially an audio version. But we're here to talk about Partisan. Now, Partisan is happening uh, in just under three weeks, I think, isn't it? Um, 21st? Yeah. 21st of May, yeah. Yeah. Is that scaring you that it's so close or everything in control? Uh, Richard has everything under control. I've been a bit distracted with other stuff. So, yes, I have only just realised that it's got quite so close and had a bit of a panic today, sending out bits and pieces for my peripheral elements. I saw a post on on Facebook, somebody has reminded me that it's parties in three weeks. That that (laughs) was you, Sean. Thank you. Oh, right. Okay. (laughs) I did wonder. (laughs) The most important question you'll you'll find about this is, has anyone yet had the partisan dream? Um, So it's a a myth between Lawrence and myself and a few others um, that we have always had a dream prior to partisan where everything goes wrong. You know, you turn up on the day and there's nobody there or the, the, you turn up to the hall and it's it's sort of like my front room. And you're trying to get, up, you know, 50 games into my front room, this sort of thing. And um, we've kind of got it as, as one of those sort of like traditions now that as long as somebody has the dream where everything goes wrong, then on the day, everything will be fine. Um, so we do actually ask each other um, each each sort of before each show, have you had the dream yet? <laughs> that's a good precursor i guess isn't it because I, as an outsider and as an attendee for i think my first partisan was probably mid 90s uh 94 95 maybe slightly earlier than that actually um but it's it's always been that uh destination show that uh Really, my own funeral is the only thing that would stop me going. <laughs> um, over over the years, we've joked about this at my club that there's been certain shows like the old triples in Sheffield and uh, Derby Worlds. These these were events for us as club members to go to, and Partizan was very much at the centre of that as as um, the peak of the hobby, really. And you know, I don't think I'm overegging the pud- pudding there too much uh we'll we'll get into that uh in a little bit but i am interested in the origins of it now um you've you've both said that you've been involved in this show for for a long time uh and we've also mentioned duncan obviously um famous as the editor of war games illustrated uh he was the original editor of miniature war games wasn't he i think that's right yeah, that's right. So uh, that goes back to the very early 80s. Uh, where And and of course, Duncan was on um, uh, Battleground, wasn't he? Uh, yes. With Peter Gilder playing, uh, oh, it's either Edge Hill or Waterloo. I can't remember which one of those two. Edge Hill, there you go. 
Uh, and so, change. That is one of the scary things is when that first came up and you saw him stood there. Um, and bear in mind, I mean, let's go back. Duncan was my oldest friend. I, I actually realized at the time of his funeral that I'd known him longer than anybody else apart from my family. Um, because, um, you know, even school friends, I hadn't really got my school friends. I still have now once I met in the sixth form. Yeah. So he was the, my oldest friend. Um, but it was really strange to see him leaning over that table and hear him talking. And he hadn't, he must have been in his probably early 20s at that point. And he was middle aged already. It's terrible to say, but Duncan spent his whole life middle aged. He never changed, did he? I know. He never changed. I know when he was manning that uh, stand uh, at parties and and other shows up and down the country, he never really seemed to change very much, to be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, that uh, that that show. This is a slight tangent, but that show was seemed to be an urban myth for a very long time. It disappeared, and there was rumours that people had got VHS copies or Betamax copies of it um, through. I think it was Time Tees TV, wasn't it, back in the day? Um, and then suddenly it's appeared on YouTube uh, for everybody to watch, which is great. Um, and uh, to watch Edward Woodward uh, giving his uh, giving some kudos to the whole thing. Um, but anyway, so um, the uh, partisan show, when and where and how did that very first come into being? Okay, either, so of you, either of you. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that because I was there. Um, and Duncan, it, it's an odd one, really, because we've never, re we've never had competition at partisan. But that is actually how it started out. It was Duncan said, look, they're struggling for a a venue for the East Midlands regional round for the National War Games Championship, which was a big thing back then. Um, so why don't we do it? And Duncan has, you know, we're, we're talking a lot about Duncan because he's important to both of us, but uh, he had a way of sort of suggesting that other people did things. Um, That's called delegation, isn't it? <laughs> well, <laughs> in, in modern parlance, it's called empowering. Okay, okay. And he, he actually did it a lot to lots of people in a very good way. Um, but it does mean that you sort of suddenly come up with an idea and, and find that you're doing it because he goes, why don't you do it? Which is basically how the Newark Irregular started. Because I moved to Newark um, from university and, and I'd seen his address. So I asked, you know, is there a club in Newark? And he went, no, but why don't you set one up? <laughs> Uh, that's how the New York Irregular started. And likewise, Partizan started off as a very small um, regional thing. So it had the East Midland Regionals at one end of the of the hall, at then what was the Grove Leisure Centre, um, and a few demo, great, few demo games. My brothers came up and did one, and there were maybe half a dozen others, and maybe half a dozen traders. Uh, Dave Thomas, I think, will claim to have been there at the very first one as well. So... Uh, I think probably he and I are the only people left who've been to every single partisan. Dave Ryan. Dave Ryan, maybe as well, yeah. Because um, I think that's where we, isn't that where we got partisan from? Because it was partisan from. Ah, Spikava, yeah. Yeah, we, we didn't steal it from them. We asked if it was okay to use yeah. the name, because obviously partisan is a kind of irregular troop type. So we were thinking of sort of guerrilla warfare, but also it's. Um, uh, uh, not a long arm. It's a uh, whole arm. Kind of, 
Polar, that's yeah. it. So you could make a logo out of it, and we kind of liked puns, so so that's where the, the partisan name came from. Um, so we ran out the Grove for two or three years, and then the competition side dropped out, and we moved <laughs> to Tellerball. Um, which, as people will remember, was not great for lighting, uh, which was ironic because I think what helped, well, definitely what helped in the early days, and Richard was on board by the time we'd sort of moved to, to Callum, I think, um, was that Duncan would set up a big lighting rig, get his big old box camera out, uh, and take lots of pictures of the games that were at Partizan. And those would appear in War Games Illustrated. So that kind of led to people making their best efforts because they thought there was a good chance that their demo game might appear in the magazine. So we very quickly got a reputation for sort of high quality, pretty looking games, uh, which we've kind of built on ever since with other things that we bought in. But that's kind of what became our niche. Yeah. Uh, what made it. I think I've heard Callum Hall being referred to as Stygian. <laughs> and it's lighting. Uh, I never really know what that means, but having been to Callum Hall many times, uh, I absolutely know uh, what we're talking about. But um, but yeah, I, I've got I've got many memories of Duncan at, at the tables uh, with his his camera. I don't think it was a box camera; might have uh, moved on uh, from the box camera. But um, with the big lights and the, those huge set piece games that we you'd see there and uh I, th- I think the likes of trickett and white house paul trickett and- yeah paul trickett yeah absolutely. yeah and one i know one of them sadly died i can't remember which one but uh some of the, some of their games like the seat wars that those kind of things these massive efforts with uh 28 mil figures from flank to flank on huge tables it just absolutely became the um the byword for what partisan was about but back to, back to those early days then so at the grove uh, hall or center did you say it was Pleasure a... center, yeah. we were right next to this swimming pool right and how how was attendance at those early shows um i think it was driven by the competition so i think probably maybe 150 for the first couple of shows mm-hmm. um obviously we got free advertising in the mag so that helped but pre-internet, so you, yeah. people are relying on the magazine, aren't they, for dates and uh, locations for these events. And no sat yeah. as well, actually. <laughs> people have to rely on, uh, yeah. on the very old-fashioned way of getting around, I guess. Did have the advantage of me is it was next door to my school. It was actually the school hall in which I did all my exams. Right. Okay. So, yes, I used to walk in there and have a com- combination of um, – because uh, it was I, – I, First show was just after I came back from university, but I used to I walked into the show the first time and sort of cold sweat went down my back. <laughs> <laughs> brought, brought back all those memories, yes, yeah. all those fears. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I guess you outgrew the Grove Centre then, did you, and and, and moved to Kellum. How was that transition? Because Kellum's a, a large or was a large conference centre, wasn't it, essentially? Well, yeah, it's an in- interesting building because. It's not as old as it looks for a start. Wow. Um, I assumed it went back to the Civil War. <laughs> no, well, there's been buildings on that site since the Civil War. Right. Um, the actual main building was put is Victorian. Okay. Um, it was put up by the same architect. I can never remember his name that 
that built St Pancras. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the architectural features are very, very much, very similar to that sort of heavy Victorian Gothic mm. look, which I love. It's the it's the only thing I really miss since we moved to the showground. But we we started fairly small. So if you remember the the Kellam Hall sprawled. Um, but the first couple of shows were only in the dome section, the main area. Yeah. As we started to get more and more demand, then we moved to the carriage court and eventually to the rooms further down as well. Mm. So that's where it was lucky with me because I think I mentioned earlier that um, I got married there. So as part ah. of married there, by this time I'd taken over doing the floor plans and stuff. Um, and um, uh, as part of getting married, they sent all these brochures out which had floor plans of all the rooms. Um, so I basically nicked those and worked out the scales and I used those forevermore for the whole time we were there. Yeah. Um, I work out a scale that would work to, to make sure I could fit all the things in place. Uh, that's uh, where, where it went from there, basically. So, um, but it, it, the route that it, it helped us to the extent that the place had originally been a seminary for monks, which is where we got our spiritual home of wargaming Ah, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Little puns that we like to do. So. Yes, yeah. no, I like that. I didn't, I didn't realise that. That's uh, that's interesting, and it does surprise me that it's Victorian, uh, the building. But um, yeah, I've got I've got many fun memories of driving up the driveway, um, hoping I can find a parking space, and uh, <laughs> knowing that the end of a about a two and a half hour drive was at the end, and the, and the fun was about to start. Generally, about, about half a dozen of us would uh, travel up in a couple of cars uh, there. Um, so that was partisan. But then, when did second or the other partisan come along? Yeah, I can't remember the exact year we started. It was probably um, early to mid nineties. So probably after about six or seven years after we'd started the main show, um, we then uh, probably three or four years after we'd moved to Callum Hall. Um, Duncan was the uh, Duncan was the worst businessman on earth. As many I've heard this before. Uh, yes, <laughs> but he also was very good at marketing, and he understood that um, there was scope for us to have a second show. And really, it was all about being driven by business uh on on that side um so um with the sort of the the um the, the sort of the, the fact we had so many people who wanted to get in and trade um and at that point we were starting to get to the point where we even then back then we had so many people who wanted to actually put games on um that the second show sort of was kind of a an overflow to start with okay um and but it was designed in, in the end to be honest it, it over years it's turned out so we have the same people that in terms of trade, we get the same invites out to everybody at both shows. But that was initially it was it was kind of this thing. There were lots of people who who couldn't get into the first show. We were trying to sort of uh, accommodate them for the second show. Um, and then you were asking, uh, you mentioned earlier when we were talking with, about um, Hammerhead. So yeah. in in those days, there was sort of a um, the irregulars has been and, and part of thing slightly weird. It, it's really only been run. Although the Irregulars was quite a large group, the show was only really run by three or four people um, because um, everybody else was willing to turn up on the day and do it. But 
necessarily you can only have three or four people organizing a show mm. so there was this sort of uh, this little junta of um, myself and Lawrence and Duncan and John Lang um, and John Lang who was uh, Raffman Canadian Raffman who'd moved to Newark in the uh, late 80s um, he was very keen on us having a fantasy and science fiction show um, and so we that's how Fantasan was born for um, five years something like that um, and uh, in that period of time that was also during the period of time when Duncan really sort of dropped out of the running of the shows and John sort of took a back seat um, and instead it was just basically Lawrence and I and we got to the point of saying we just can't do this we can't run three shows a year yeah. so it's a huge amount of work and we looked around at what to drop and obviously we weren't going to drop the main show so the choice was really between the second you know the, the what was the august september show um or the fantasy show and the fantasy show was in late february mm-hmm. and it was the one that had always frightened us in terms of it could it could break us if we had a you know a, a really bad snowstorm um and nobody turned up at, we would still have to sort of like um we'd have to refund all the traders to yeah. start, and we still have to pay for the venue so it was the one that could really sort of break the, the, the bank on the show. So that was the one that we decided to drop, really, which was a shame because we we liked the fact that there was this different, this fantasy and science fiction show to try and accommodate because we're, we're very much into trying to spread the love kind of thing. You know, get, you know it's, it's a big hobby. You want to try and accommodate as much of the hobby as you can. Yeah. A broad church, as I will often Indeed. say. Yes. Um, and uh, fantasy and certainly led to us making that trip three times <laughs> yes. uh, the a50 uh, instead of just twice um well it probably it was also actually it probably caused the the closest we ever got to an argument with duncan because um once we decided not to do the show um duncan wasn't happy with that and so he then approached the chesterfield club and said would you like to run it instead at the same venue um which we were kind of, well, you know, um, in the end, it's not our show. It's, no, it's nobody's choice. It's absolutely fine. But we kind of thought it was um, it was something we wouldn't we would have rather he hadn't done. I'll put it that yes. way. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the end, it turned out to be very good, and it, it actually helped in in the long run. It has very much helped partisan the fact that that show that they renamed Hammerhead, um, you know, has been successful because we kind of ended up following them. Um, so I know we'll come into it later on, but it was it was once that had moved to um, Sally and Paul at Calistra, and they, for the same reasons we did eventually, started having lots of problems with Kellum Hall. They were the ones who, who took the risk and made the move to the showground. Okay. Um, and at that time, I was, I was ready to, to, to pack the show up. When we got to the point when... Kellum Hall was no longer available. I, I'd never wanted to run a show in a big shed. Um, and it took a lot of persuading from Duncan and Lawrence and other people to persuade me to carry on. Um, and um, But we did make the move. But we, we probably wouldn't have, have done that if it hadn't been for Paul and Sally, you know. So, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I, I know what you mean about the big shed thing. And I think... The last Derby show, albeit it was Derby in name only, I think it was more Leicester, wasn't it? Um, that 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 sort of really killed things there, didn't it? With um, with that show, um, but I didn't realise 
or oh, I'd forgotten that Paul and Sally had ran Hammerhead at Kellum actually. Um, so and, and then they made the move. But um, you talk about that the, you had that sort of fear that Fantizan could sink the whole shebang. But there was one show that ended up in a tent, wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> On the yeah. lawn. <laughs> It was a couple of years before we moved, and, and thinking back, we should have seen the writing on the wall a bit sooner. Um, so I'm going to have to be careful what we say here, but we were... Shall I get the lawyers on, on standby? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So we, we, were, we were happily working towards that show when suddenly the, the whole management said, actually, we're double booked, um, and there's an Art Deco antique fair on or something. And at that point... We were very much like, well, do we carry on? You know, this is this is this the last straw, really? Because you know, we'd had a lot of minor niggling problems, really, with the with the with Calibre. We talked about the lighting before, so you know, we would go along prior to the show and go, okay, there's there's a couple of lights out there. Can you get them fixed? And they'd go, yeah, 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 and it didn't happen. Um, so. When they double booked us, we did have a few days where we went, is this the end? Is this what's going to kill us off? Um, And in the end, we decided to to bite the bullet and we spent a lot of money having to hire a huge marquee and suddenly renaming the show Partisan in the Park just to try and make a positive out of it. Um, And in some ways, you know, it it was a lot of work uh, to do that. But in some ways, it was very successful. And the thing that that everyone commented on. A, it didn't rain, so we were fine. Um, but B, it was a nice sunny day, yeah. and the light diffusing through the canvas made it brilliant for photographing yeah. all miniatures on on tables. Yeah, yeah. And when we then had to go back into Kellam Hall for another three or four shows, people re- sort of at that point started using the Stygian gloom thing. Mm. And, you know, I remember it was a bit dark in here, but after the, the partisan in the park, it just looked really, really <laughs> yes. gloomy. Yeah, yeah. I should, I should point out on this that I, at the time when this all happened, I was in Aberdeen doing a, doing a job, uh, running, a, running a drilling campaign. And um, uh, I was all of this was done on the phone from the car park of an oil company. Uh, wow. Me phoning everybody up, Duncan and Lawrence, and sort of saying, like, what are we going to do? You know, do we really carry on? Mm. Sitting in the, in the sort of, F latcher here again, but sitting there supposedly running a, a, an oil rig and um, and and desperately trying to redo floor plans uh, to fit everybody into a completely new space. So yes. it was, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it challenge. Was, yeah, it was it was a bit fraught at that time. Fraught, yeah. Well, I, I've got very fond memories of, of that day, to be honest. Um, both, I, I think there was just two of us that went up, and uh, yeah, really fond memories. There was a, it was quite a communal atmosphere about the whole thing as not quite a make do amend because it, you know it's better than that but um the the whole pulling together thing certainly from the guys that put on the the games uh, to the traders to to the people who, who came through the door from from my point of view from the other side of the fence if you like um I've got I've got very fond memories of of that day, um, and yeah, the weather helped. What it had been like if it was torrential rain, I don't know. Uh, but uh, yeah, we certainly certainly enjoyed it. Um, 
and ended up spending uh, the usual amount of money that we did. So um, w- one of the other issues that I've heard anecdotally from Kellum Hall was access for traders. Was was that an issue that was um, ever raised? To some you? extent, it, the access was good or would have been really good if it was all on the flat. So there were lots of points into all the rooms to get in and out. The problem being is that all of those rooms had steps in them. Yeah. Um, so there was lots of issues with getting trolleys through and getting people moved around. And lots of the corridors are quite narrow as well. Yes. Um, I, th- I think you could overplay that to some extent. It was a bigger problem for us to, to uh, at one point where we used to have a bring and buy. Uh, it was run by shed heads of sort of a, a little um, uh uh, sort of section of the Yuka regulars, John Dowman and his brother and a few of the guys. And um, we had a show where we were so packed out, and particularly those narrow corridors, that the fire brigade basically came in and said, you have got to clear people out. Um, and at that point, it was sort of, uh, that really was where we decided then to lose the bring and buy at that point, because it just was no longer practical to run a bring and buy mm. where you miss that sort of crush of people um and you know we have to listen to the, the people talking about safety that was the it's their job so yeah that's a, that's an interesting one isn't it about bring and buy because that bring and buys are something that have evolved at many shows or disappeared actually from many shows or turned into more tabletop sales i know that yes. um hammerhead run that and for that nartak also uh they run more of a tabletop sale kind of a um a setup rather than a traditional bring and buy um and it's still uh, we get the most questions about in advance yeah uh, we get there's two two questions we get more than anything else one is can i bring my dog in <laughs> and for the record the answer is yes as long as they're well behaved okay because the venue's fine with show stuff that's fine you know um and also bearing in mind that you you know it's busy you don't want you to yeah. trodden all the time and mm. have you got to bring them by? Um, and it's something that when we made the move, we we were forced to stop the bring them by at Callum Hall. When we made the move up to the showground, um, we made an active decision not to do that. Um, there were things that we wanted to do with the show. Um, so there were some decisions we made. So the first decision we made, jumping the gun a little bit here, was we would not increase the number of traders. Um, just because you've gone to a bigger venue doesn't mean you're going to get more people through the door. So it doesn't mean you're going to make any more money for the traders. Um, and although they're only a, one part of the show, they're a very important part of it. You know, they have to make money. So the idea was that we would give the traders more space, um, but we wouldn't necessarily increase the number of traders. And I think the last show at, 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 the, at Kellum Hall, we had 44 traders. Um, and this year we'll have 46. Okay. So and it's it stayed around that number all the yeah. way. Um, it gave us a huge amount more room for games. So we went from having 44 traders and 28 to 30 games at Kellum Hall to 44 traders, or 46 traders and 65 games, 64 games we'll have at the show this time. And it's always around that 60 mark now. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, is that rather than bringing by what we're really interested in is is the whole shows are run on the ethos of trying to promote the hobby and give stuff back to the hobby. This is a big thing for us. It's the only reason we do it. And um, so we wanted this, we have this society area now. We call it the history zone. 
basically it's where the societies can come along and basically they can promote their their societies free of charge um and it, it means that that sort of we're trying to sort of you know give something back and help them out with the shows so with, mm. with the show so well let, let's get on to the new showground proper then so you, you mentioned that it was Paul and Sally that made that initial move, but was it a risk for you to take the show to somewhere like uh, the showground? Was was the logistics different for you? The costing was that different? Yeah, it's always, always a risk when you when you involve change, isn't it? Because you don't know what you're getting yourself in for. We had the mm-hmm. advantage that because Hammerhead had already moved, yeah. we could see a war game show in there. And as Richard said, we sort of made a conscious decision to plan out the show a bit differently. So it does, you know, I know that lots of people go, oh, there's three New York shows. But actually, we've made a very conscious decision to do things differently. One of the things was the History Zone. Um, and the other thing was that we had had partisans at Kellam Hall where there was very little participation. It was all demo games. I, I remember one that only had one that you could join in. Um, so we we made this decision to keep the sort of traditional traders around the outside with an island, but then the history uh, the history zone to promote hobby stuff, and then a participation zone at one end and a demo zone at the other end. Um, so we're able to keep the the sort of pretty looking game thing that we're known for, but that's down one end. So people can see, you know, this is what's going on down this end. And down the other end is the participation stuff. You know, Hammerhead is different. It does all participation. That's great. It works for them. And for us, we wanted to make sure that we had a mix. So there was, we were actively promoting the participation side as well as, you know, the thing we were best known for, which was, which was the pretty demo games. What we found actually is that the participation games that come to Partisan are looking much more like the demo games now, you know, the standard of presentation. Yes. You've got, got a few sort of abstract ones, which are fine. They're really interesting, but they're, they're more about sort of abstract mechanics of games or whatever. Uh, but a lot of them, you know, I, there was one I remember, it was um, a sharp practice game with a winter scenario down in the participation area. Very could have been the best of show just on prettiness alone. Uh, yeah, that was that was. I, I know which one you're talking about. It was absolutely fabulous. Yeah. Um, so you, it sounds like it gave you almost a clean slate to start again to sort of design that show um, with a blank canvas. But uh, without going into the finite detail of it, but was there a financial risk? Was there was there a point where you thought, well, we don't, I don't think we can do this anymore. Let's just leave it where it is. Let's let Paul and Sally go off and do their thing. But party no, I mean, run its course. We, we have an advantage, um, which I, I think most people are aware of, which is the fact that um, there's a, a, a strange history of the um, Irregulars insofar as the club ceased to exist many years ago. Um, Basically, most people moved away. Um, people who are key, who we, we still see and we still game with, but they're no longer in New York. So James Morris, um, I think the closest one is Steve Jones, who lives just down at um, Long Bennington. Um, 
Duncan had moved away to Nottingham. Lawrence was was over in Nottingham. So the Irregulars as a as a group had ceased to exist for a long time. Um, and we found ourselves in this strange situation where Lawrence and I run the shows, but we don't own the shows. It's not our show. Now that has a disadvantage to some extent, and we've, we've corrected that with sort of um, sort of uh, trying to normalise it with a sort of community interest company thing. Um, you know, to make sure that we're on board with tax people, that sort of stuff. So that's all fine. Um, but the, um, the, the the thing is, is it, it also means that there's nobody taking any money out of the shows. So everything that the show generates goes back into the show. Okay. And that gives us a huge advantage. It means that we don't have to worry about, you know, we're using this money to support a club or, you know, for anything like that. We're not having to make a living out of it. We both have good jobs. Um, so basically, um, it's not difficult to, if you run a show well, to make it financially viable to the extent that it will carry on running. Um, it's not something you would ever sort of really make a business of, um, mm. but it's certainly something that's 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 viable to to generate the income to make the show. And we have a basic kind of thing. Um, I mean, Lawrence is more the money man than I am, but we have a basic kind of thing where the sort of the, the the trade to a large extent is paying for the cost of the venue and this sort of thing. And then the people through the door are paying for, you know, you know the, all the other stuff, the advertising and the, you know, the extra people we have to get in to help us set up and this sort of thing. Um, so it's we're OK. You know, it's it's not something we're not in a situation with um, Yeah, you know, we, we, we make sure we keep everybody on the right side of um, tax and all that sort of stuff you have to worry about. Um, and generally, it's yeah, it, it's it's fine. Yeah, it uh, it just struck me that I've, I've been aware of the entity that is Newark Regulars, and by the way, that's old website with uh, all of the links to clubs around the world, really, and and all the other shows and etc. Used to be my go-to uh, place, but so I've been aware of the Newark Regulars Again, as, as an entity for yeah. a, a long time. Yeah, I am. I am. I am doing that. That. That existed long after the irregular. So I, I basically I did all of that, right. uh, and I've been tra- we the website sort of we had issues with the website. So we, we we sort of completely rebuilt the website. We had issues with with web designers and people like this causing us problems. So um, so basically I I started again, and the calendar for example is now up there uh, again. Okay, um, and I will resurrect the links I actually still some people can still get onto the old site which is very confusing particularly mm. traders who have changed you know some of the companies have changed ownership yes uh, they keep sending me emails saying so apologies to them saying you know can you change this and actually no I can't I need to I need to try and stop that completely yeah. and restart but that is that is an ongoing project which will resurrect very soon it is something I'm working on so uh, we're, uh, you know we're talking about going back to I think early de- well early 2000s i guess and the first um the first rush of of uh war games companies getting their own websites and uh the links and clearly social media has taken over yeah. a, a lot of that function now i guess with uh, the advertising and uh the the publicity side of things so um so yeah so the traditionally war game shows that you would see dotted around the country years ago and we see far less of them now, but they would fund a club's existence, wouldn't they, traditionally? So you're saying that 
new correct I mean, originally that was the yeah originally that was the case yeah we would do the organizing and then everyone would pile in on the day and help out and that was mm-hmm. the justification for you know that was they were effectively earning their membership yeah uh, so yeah when we were running as a physical club and having to pay the scout hall for uh, weekly meetings and stuff then then the money did the did sort of churn over that way. Now, now we just do a sort of we we make a small surplus each year, and that's all ploughed back into the show. Um, you know, we don't we haven't raised traders' fees or entrance fees for a while because at the moment we don't need to. If the prices go up, then we'll adjust just in order to keep going and, and to make sure that we still make a short small surplus but because yeah there are lots of things that people don't think about that you need to pay for so table hire paying for the awards we never used to have awards for example but we have those now so you've got to buy those you've got to have them engraved and all that kind of stuff liability insurance yeah we do that properly because many years ago one of the table blocks that we um, we use eFellow, Richard's wife, Liz, and yeah. dashed quite badly. So we're quite conscious that, you know, you need to do things properly. Yes. So, you know, that, that's where the sort of finance side goes, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, again, as an attendee, the show was going strength to strength to strength. You'd uh, settled uh, the, the main partisan show in May. Um, you were just about to move uh, yes. the other partisan to October, um, which was that deliberate uh, positioning was, to it, uh, fill the derby gap? Yeah, well, we, we always had the second one sort of late August, beginning of September. When it became clear that derby wasn't going to be re- resurrected, we said, OK, we'll take that slot because yeah. it gives us a longer time, longer time period between the two shows. You know, it's an established slot on the circuit and you do have to be careful about not clashing with other people because we're well established people try and avoid our dates by and large yes, now but we moved into that slot no one really objected um and it does give us a bit more time between the two shows and you don't get the thing of i can't come to the august show because i'm on holiday yeah 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 but uh, i think also the the landscape of of the calendar that you're talking about there richard is changing and a lot of the shows I've seen have fallen away for whatever reason. The likes of triples, the likes of Derby, and a lot of the smaller shows that we would see. I mean, there, there was a point I think twenty years ago where I could probably three out of every four weekends I could be going to a war game sh- show somewhere in the country. But whether or not it's market forces that have, have made that rationalization or people have lost interest or people have moved on and people can't be bothered to actually put the work and i don't know but um i think the show seems a lot different yeah there's there's a couple of things triples and derby have proved that it is possible to mess up a well-established show yeah um and it, it isn't book the table book book the hall anymore if you don't do it right and you don't put some thought into it then Things happen. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to days, why Derby and Triples failed, but yeah. you know we work quite hard on continuous improvement. It sounds like business jargon, but you know we do. You know we we make a conscious effort not to stand still. We're constantly fiddling around with you know can we do this better or you know what's next that kind of stuff. Whereas 
it's possible to stagnate and, and at least one of those shows did and the other one was messed up by poor management probably there is a, sorry. sorry richard go on, go on. i was gonna say there is there is an element of that also if you, you can't take people for granted mm. um you know that there are there are three elements to any show and that's the traders the games and the people who come through the door and you have to have all of those three in mind all the time you know because as soon as particularly with some of these shows where they start to take advantage of the traders particularly um where they're poorly treated um where you know that it's expensive um and they feel that they're being taken for granted um once that happens the you know your show's in real trouble at that point yeah. uh, and the same goes for the games and the the the, um, the the people through the door i mean uh, we get I, it's interesting getting emails from people saying would you allow me to put on a game at your show and my attitude is, is exactly opposite. It's like, we would be delighted to host your game. It's a word I use all the time, but hosting your game. Because without those games, partisan is nothing. Yeah. Uh, the same way as without the trade, partisan is nothing, and the people through the door. So you've got to always, you know, it, um, people are asking, do I need to pay to come in to put my game on? Well, no. You know, we're, we're grateful for you actually putting all that money and effort into actually coming down to put a game on at our show um so because we can't exist without you so it's it's you know i think we've we've said in the past it, it sounds terribly academic or whatever but actually what we do is curate a space yeah the show to be um and that feeds into what richie's just said that you know we don't put steve steve who helps us now with the with the organization often puts on a game but apart from that we're reliant on other people creating the atmosphere and creating the the great inspirational games that we're mm. well known for yeah um, and every time you you know the partisan dream we talked about earlier there's an element of what if everyone turns up with you know a tablecloth and it's a scatter terrain this time imagine the perry's doing that my god <laughs> it's not going to happen but no 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 well there's a challenge actually if i'm, I'm <laughs> listening um i think also if you, if you look back to the likes of derby and sheffield um maybe it was the death knell of the two-day show um and whether or not there's enough interest or enough support within the community um I can't actually think. Do we have a two-day show left? Maybe one of the... Um, Britcon has just moved to Colours. Nottingham, but they're based around a competition, aren't they? So yeah. yeah. They were certainly from last year, busy on Saturday, almost like a regular show, and then mm. something pretty much just a competition gamers. Yeah. Um, doing the comparison with the US, because we obviously we talk to a lot of people in the US putting on shows and stuff like that as well, uh, and they are conventions. Yes. A different beast. Um, it is a completely different beast because you know they are. I mean, it's it's obviously it's the nature of the the, the size of the country. Yeah. People travel a long way to go to a convention, and it'll be three four days. Yeah. Um, in this country, most people don't want to spend money in a hotel if they don't have to. They'd rather go home. Um, so it's it's very much the case that that the British Britain is not suited to that style of American style gaming. Yeah, um, where people travel long distances to stay for a few days and to game. Um, exactly. Well, I, and they'll travel and they'll play four and five hour games. That's, yes. that's their aim that they'll sign up for these huge games. Whereas 
when you it's a different topic i guess but on the participation game front and the participation zone that you run there's 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 a bit of a sweet spot i think for for capturing people to take part in those games nobody wants to be sat there for two or three hours well unless you're into the lardy stuff i know there's people that salute (laughs) that were sat down for two or three hours playing lardy games but um generally it's half an hour to an hour i think is probably the sweet spot that you'll capture somebody because we want to go shop and we want to look at those gorgeous demo games and we want to socialize as well because um and it's a really interesting point lawrence you said you um you curate the show and, and create the space and for me it's, it's you create the space to let it breathe and to let the the community come together in a really special environment yes you're surrounded by beautiful absolutely jaw-dropping games you've got the participation games you've got the trade show but there's also the social aspect isn't there where the community comes together and i think no more was that evident than the first show post pandemic um pandemic is is a topic i wanted to talk about because i i don't know how, how much strain that put on on the show and and whether how you were feeling about it coming back after the pandemic but that first show that you you put on post pandemic I, I think i'm right in thinking the numbers were pretty much pretty okay for you through the door very good yeah yeah I'm very lucky with that um i mean the pandemic uh, Lawrence can talk about it a bit more in a minute. But for me personally, the pandemic was hard not because of the pandemic, but during that gap that we had between um, the last show in August in 2019 um, and the first show in 2021, I think it was October 2021, uh, we lost four of the irregulars. Here we get upset now, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, so. I'll, I'll take over then. It, it it was unfortunate, really, that we you know we just had a series of personal losses. People, members of the club, um, who, who for various reasons passed away, and quite unexpectedly. So that was difficult. I think the the thing we tried to do, and you're right, the social aspect was really highlighted by the pandemic. We on the days when the show should have run. So um, later on in, uh, we missed the two 2020 shows and the first of the 21 shows. So we we tried to run a sort of virtual event online via Facebook just to keep sort of mark the days, really. Um, Partisan also, in the cloud. Yeah, yeah that was the one. Um, just, to, just to keep connected, really, um, because we've always very much seen Partisan as a social function. My My ethos for running the show has always been it it's the it needs to be the kind of show that i would want to go to so friendly people on the front door for a start sets the atmosphere uh, and friendly you know there there are lots of people at partisan that i recognize and i probably know their names because they're facebook friends as well but i probably wouldn't be able to go oh hi henry or well, henry i would yes but, yeah yeah, I would Henry recommend for example, and, and not remembering the names. Yeah. There are loads and loads of people like that. And yeah, we, we also use that to judge sort of who's here. Um, so it's it's odd when familiar faces suddenly aren't here. Um, yeah, so we, and uh, <laughs> there's been one or two um, 
losses that I think a lot of people have felt um, uh, throughout the community. But I found it quite an emotional time walking back through the door uh, of Partizan um, because I can generally, well, if I didn't watch myself, I would spend the whole day talking to people and not doing anything else. And I'm sure you guys are the same. Um, particularly since I started the podcast, actually, there's, there's I, I meet there's two or three people that I always traditionally meet up and have a chat with. But um, it was it was a real emotional time because war game shows have been a huge part of my life and part of my hobby since I was old enough to go to a show on my own. Um, and, and make my own way there, which would be the late 80s. Um, and a, a very close friend of mine uh, passed away a, a while ago now, but he was a constant companion up and down the motorways of this country long before sat-navs, and we would get lost every single time. Most famously, uh, we went down to Kensington Hall for salute um, and left uh got in the car and we're driving for about an hour just chatting away and realized instead of heading north we were heading uh west and ended up in reading <laughs> rather than uh, closer to stoke but uh, and uh, lots of stories like that so the the community aspect of this hobby i think is is perhaps under understated sometimes and when you go to the shows yeah. and meet these people who you haven't seen for a long time or, or spoken to for a long time because of the pandemic, then it, it was quite an emotional time. Yeah, it's it's one of the things that we, we, were, we were talking about the, the, the two-day shows thing. I suppose there are two things that ideally I would love to have in a show, which you would I don't think you could ever probably do in, in the UK. One is I'd love to have a show that close to Christmas that everything is sort of Christmas-themed. So it's been my big thing. Um, I've always loved that idea. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm going to give you a thumbs up. Just, that. I have all sorts of weird ideas about that. But the other one, actually, is, is I've always loved that thing of, of sort of, of the shows going on into the evening and people, you know, gaming together and talking together and this sort of thing. Mm. And this is why we sort of, little segue into one of the things that we've done over over the last few years is one of the irregulars, um, Anthony Foxwell, Foxy, um, he started a board game cafe in Newark um, or gaming cafe in Newark. And it's become sort of, uh, it's almost resurrected the irregulars. So lots of the old irregulars have started back to that. One of the things that we're doing now is the night before each partisan show, we have a dedicated um, sort of evening for, for people, anybody who's coming to the show who's staying the night before. Um, so mostly traders, but some people who are just coming to attend. Um, then it's, it's open house and to come along and sort of just sit around you know have coffee have drinks board games this sort of thing so um and it's we're not going to a lot of people coming as yet because i think it's taking a while to the, to, to to take off but it's something i think it's worth the investment in um because again it's part of that community thing it's part of yeah. the social fabric of, of war gaming which is mm. what like so well uh, again from my, my experience I, I can stand at a demo game um and, and chat to people that I've been chatting to for five, 10, 15, 20 years in some aspects who've, who've put games on at the show and will recognize each other's face, might not, not know each other's name, but, um, and uh, traders that we've all known through the years. And, you know, obviously some have moved on or 
uh, sadly no longer with us but uh there's a there's a real it, it feels so much more than just either a shopping trip or going to look at some pretty games there's there's a whole other aspect to it i think that keeps certainly partisan special and and i think location has a lot to do with it as well because you're dead center of, of the country so easy access from north south east and west that really helps i think to draw the people in although some southerners are still fairly nervous about traveling north of the watford gap uh, uh i know that that's uh that crops up from time to time but um yeah that 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 community thing i think is massive and it's a it's kudos to you guys that you do create that space and you do curate this uh this show and are aware that this is a precious thing that you've got in your hands and you know let's hope god forbid another 10 15 20 years time that there's another lawrence and another trick somewhere who's going to be carrying that baton because it'd be wonderful to keep it going because this hobby just has changed doesn't it social media war games magazines aren't quite the uh goliath that they were i think 20 years ago they aren't our only contact with this hobby uh we can there's you very rarely go to a show these days and are surprised by a release from the perrys or from from rank or from old glory or whoever it is um you you know about it already it's nice to see it in the flesh but you, you're very real you're very rarely surprised by anything um i think that's one of the things i miss actually i have to say if there's one regret i do have with regard to the shows is particularly with kellum hall time um you would go to a show and this is before the days of the internet and dave thomas or andy from old glory they would have these huge glass cabinets filled with the most beautiful painted figures and they were there was it was uh, sometimes you they were there was as nice to sit and look at those as it was to look at the games yeah and yeah. rank after rank of these beautifully painted figures mm. um, and and that was that's something that you don't get now um for understandable reasons because i mean yeah. i know I think Dave, Dave Thomas at one point had a horrible crash um, and ended up with with you know a van full of, um, uh, of figures all over the floor. Oh God! Now uh, <laughs> knowing what that display that he used to take around that yes. was heartbreaking. Yeah. So and it's just not practical, you know, no. because you know I mean one thing I, I would be sad to see is it is creeping in a bit is the um, people not taking anything to the shows really and having the stand as a pickup point for stuff that people have ordered before they get yeah. there yeah, yeah. Um, and that is creeping in a little bit not in its entirety but it's something that I'd, I'd hope would be avoided um, because you still need to have that ability for people to come and um, uh, have a look you know and sort of see see stuff yeah 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 it's 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 an amazing amazing thing um and you know i really do take my hat off to the effort that you guys and i know there's a lot you, you, you clearly there must it's not just you two putting the tables out on a saturday night there must be a whole army of people that uh, come along and there are that many, uh, to be fair <laughs> really there's only about half a dozen probably yeah half a dozen Great. of us it's a box of steel. <laughs> <laughs> My back's just aching. Think. <laughs> um, no, I mean there are. There are. I mean, obviously, we spoke about Tony Ackland earlier. Tony still does all the adverts for us. Right. Um, so he's he's in Cornwall now. Uh, so and we've got. It is nice that, that 
for even though there's people that you, you don't see from one end of the year to the next except for partisan, there are the irregulars who will still turn up, even though there isn't a club anymore, and they'll turn up in the afternoon or on the morning of the show and, and make an effort of helping traders with stuff and bringing stuff in, you know. Um, you know, there, there are still plenty of people out there who are sort of putting themselves out to, to, to help the show. Yeah, so, um, well, it's coming up, isn't it, very quickly. Uh, we're going to be here uh, and seeing each other in person, maybe. I might come and tap you on the shoulder and say <laughs> boo <laughs> uh, for uh, the, the show. And I've seen the list of games that are coming. Uh, we've got a lot of the usual faces there and um, some new ones, no doubt. Uh, we'll all get wet. That one thing on, on the magazine, just very quickly. Um, uh, when I used to go to the show and you'd see the photographs of the games that Duncan took and put in the magazine, we don't see that anymore, do we? We don't see the photos quite so often. Uh, I, we see I the odd I, show I, report. but Yeah, I think that's moved on. So you'll find the magazine editors, for example, taking photos and uploading them to Facebook Live yes. or yeah, yeah. during the day. And the, the thing that on our own Facebook page we'll also look out for is people doing podcasts, people doing YouTube videos and stuff like that. So normally, you know, in the in the week following Partisan, our page will have half a dozen, maybe a dozen links to people who've done you know, video blogs or podcasts or regular old fashioned written blogs. Um, mm. And I think that's that much more immediate reporting is part of you know how how the world has changed and you know we use facebook ads as well as magazine ads and all that kind of stuff now so it's just keeping up with the world it is the landscape has changed um, there is a point to make with that though that, that interestingly i know that both guy at wargame soldier strategy and um dan at uh, wargames illustrated uh, what they will do is they'll come to the show um we use them as our along with henry as our judging team for the best in uh, stuff um, and but they will see games they like and then rather than taking the photos there for the magazine they'll quite often talk to the guys and arrange for photo shoots afterwards yeah. so a lot of the people still coming to the shows are making the contact with the magazines to get the the, the games in the magazines just not have with the photos taken at the shows. So, yeah, it's not that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's just an evolving landscape, isn't it? As technology moves on and uh, social media uh, becomes all-consuming, really, I suppose. But right, well, gentlemen, I've I've kept you probably a bit longer than I expected. Uh, I really do appreciate your time. Um, for any guests on the show, there's two things uh, that I. I nearly said demand. I'm not. I'm not going to say demand. I'm <laughs> going to request. One is uh, the first is really easy that you agree to come on the show again at some point in the future and uh, regale me of uh, with some of these wonderful stories of uh, wargaming shows past and hopefully to come. Uh, and the second is we have the God's Own Scale Virtual Library, so no guest is allowed on the show without depositing a virtual book onto the virtual shelves of my God's Own Scale library, which um, prior to the hiatus had been wonderfully curated by Charles Roundtree, who'd uh, uh, created a, a link to all of the books that have been recommended by the guests over the last span of the podcast. So um, your, your, your suggestions are going to sit alongside and I shall add them to uh, all of those that have been uh, suggested previously. So, um, 
Richard, I'll come to you first. Uh, let Lawrence go first. Here is me. I've got two choices, and just in case huh? he's just one of the same, so I don't want to. Uh... Okay. <laughs> okay. It may may not be, but it may may be one that other people have suggested in the past. Because again, one of the things that got me into Napoleonics was the the wonderful Waterloo film. So the the book I would recommend is the the accompanying book. So it's Ugo Pericoli's 1815, The Armies at Waterloo, which was really my first uniform reference book. Um, And it still has value, even though, you know, if I want uniform reference for for Waterloo, I'd probably go to the Mont Saint-Jean website now. But this book is so precious to me that it fell apart and I had to have it professionally rebound just for sentimental reasons. So, yeah, that's mine. That, that's wonderful. You didn't even want to go out and get a new copy of it. You needed to keep it the original. Go on eBay and get a hardback. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and w- w- which range of figures would you have been point- painting with them back in the day? Back in the day, it would have been minifigs, but now it's got obviously going to be Perry's. Oh, well, obviously it goes without saying, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, okay, I don't think that one's been recommended. And in any case, if it has, you know what people are like with libraries. They don't return them. They return the books and they take them off the shelf. So that'll sit very nicely uh, in the W section. Thank you very much for that, uh, Lawrence. Uh, Richard, over to you. Well, mine, is, mine is, is, is two books. One is very old and one is very new. So the very new one for a start is um, I've just read um, obviously, Lawrence and I have both have history with this. Is Dice Men by Ian Livingston, oh, which is a fabulous history of basically the early years of Games Workshop. Games Workshop yeah. Dolls, all the Citadel stuff. Tony Ackman contributed to it. Brian Ernst, all people like that. Uh, and it's a really interesting insight into the way the lead belt really started. Because without sort of Citadel and Asgard, um, there wouldn't be a lead belt. There wouldn't be a partisan or any of this stuff. So it's. Uh, um, you know, that's a that's a, a, a big thing in, in our whole hobby, I think. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Going back the other the other the other end is I actually brought it downstairs is I said earlier about my first ever war game was um, was with Duncan was the Renaissance stuff. But prior to that, when I was a kid, I had bought um, and tried to play um, a book called Operation Warboard by Gavin and Bernard Lyle, which is um, how to fight World War Two battles in miniature. Um, and I, I managed to actually play some solo games against myself with airfix figures at the time. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. It's nice and straightforward to read, um, easy to do the games. So it's, it's well worth digging out if you can find it. Oh, yeah, again, I don't think either of the... Well, certainly Diceman isn't on the shelves. And I'm fairly confident Operation Warboard isn't. But it's, it's something I'm aware of. And I don't think I've actually ever seen a copy of it. Um, it's another one of those. Oh, there you go. Uh, that needs to. Uh, I need to find a copy and put that on my uh, shelf along with all the old uh, traditional uh, Featherstone and Grant type books. But thanks very much for uh, those suggestions, gentlemen. Um, once again, thank you for joining me, taking your time out of a. I'm sure it's very busy schedule for both of you. I'm going to wish you both the best of luck. Although I'm sure you don't need it. You rolled hands uh, <laughs> at this. I hope that dream comes for one of you at some point. Uh, the the where you you fear that nothing has happened, but I'll uh, I'll look forward to seeing you both on the day. So uh, Richard uh, and Lawrence, thanks very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Brother Bertie went away to do his bit the other day. With a smile on his lips and his left hand and fixed upon his shoulder, right and gay. As the train moved out, he said, remember me.
me to all the birds. Then he wagged his paw and went away to war, shouting out these pathetic words. Goodbye, goodbye. Oh, I'm a dear baby, dear from your eye. Though it's hard to pass, I know, I know. I'll be here the next day, don't cry. Don't cry. There's a silver lining in the sky. Oh, 